You're listening to Sci-Fi TV Rewatch, episode 354. My name is Utrecht of Bebenberg, and I'm joined, as always, by my brother, Ragnar Ragnarsson. Nice. As we prepare to steal your silver and take your wives. Nice. I love it. (laughs) Did you ask your wife about the stealing wives thing? Because Mary said that's okay if it's okay with Jody. (laughs) to just give it our best shot but didn't seem too concerned <laughs> yeah like even if i, I said i was going to do it uh she'd probably very much doubt the ability to do so so but uh dude let's let's just go ahead and just jump right in we'll talk about snow piercer in a second because that's what we're here to do tonight but i don't know it's fair for you to say i told you so because i i didn't doubt you you know right. i just had to find the right time so um, f- five episodes in of sev- season two. Wow. Yeah. So <laughs> season one went by and, and I got to tell you, and, and we're talking about, uh, the last kingdom, by the way, if you guys don't know what it is, we're talking about a, a show that Wayne has been urging me to watch. And I finally found the right time. And it is in that time period that Vikings, the around like 860 AD ish, um, and it follows, you know, some Vikings, some of the uh, Saxons. And as you said last week, it pretty much checks all the boxes. But I got to be honest with you. I had a little bit of trepidation. I almost felt like I was cheating on Vikings <laughs> as I'm watching it. Right. That, no, don't don't like it too much because, <laughs> you know, he's not as cool as Ragnar. Um, no, she's not as cool as as Lagertha, but dude, again, not telling you anything you don't know. It's just an amazing show. Yeah. yeah. And I do have to say though, let's see, nine episodes in, he's on his fourth woman. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they, you they, don't want to take the part. If you're an actress, you yeah. don't want to take the part of Uhtred's love yeah, interest. No, de- definitely do not though. Um, yeah oh my god it's it's such a great show um yeah it was uh super enjoyable uh going back and doing the rewatch before i watched season four for the first time um and then you know as always like a like a you know glutton at a buffet i just you know binge 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 those episodes and then i'm done and i left this this sense of ennui at the end of it yeah and that's going to I'm sure be what happens to me because as I said, I got three episodes to go in season two, which I won't get to see tonight because, uh, you know, I'll be watching some things with my wife, but I'll more than likely have season two done by tomorrow or at at the latest the next day. And then, you know, jump into season three and, and just go from there. I think season three and four are shorter. Are they sh- okay? I think in, in terms oh, of episodes, the, I did think. the first two have how many episodes did first two have eight? eight I, I think believe. they go to ten episodes for the next oh, two. Well, that's I good. Think, yeah, they're I not. think they're longer. I think the the um they cut down on the length of each episode, but they have more episodes. Oh, okay. So, well, that's good. That helps my attention span or lack thereof. <laughs> right, but yeah, uh, yeah. I, I mean, I knew like well, especially if if you are a fan of Vikings then uh, you absolutely will love The Last Kingdom. It's, uh, yeah. it's a great show. Yeah, I, you know, I think there might be a little less violence and gore 
than Vikings. Although as, as soon as I said that to my wife yesterday, you know, it was this intense battle scene, but uh, I still stand by that. I, I, I think uh, a little less. I mean, certainly there's a lot, right. no question. There's a lot of action sequences, a lot of blood and gore. The, uh, the production values are just fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, what, what they lack in gore, they make up in nudity, so. Good point. <laughs> yes, absolutely. So, all right. Anyway, what are you watching? So, I just Besides last the last night, kingdom. Yeah. Um, I finished uh, uh, Falda. Oh, um, is that good? I keep seeing that. It was pretty good. On yeah. my feed. Yeah. <clears throat> um, it's an Israeli show. It follows this, um, it's mostly this guy, uh, Doron, who is the uh, a, a soldier in the Israeli Defense Force, and they're a special unit that goes into Palestine, and they pass as, as Palestinians. You know, they speak perfect Arabic. They know all the customs and, and everything. Um, so it's you have a lot of undercover stuff and uh, you know special operations stuff and everything. Um, an extremely politically charged show, uh, obviously, but. Um, and as you can imagine, you know, the, you know, Israelis are the quote unquote good guys. Then Hamas is the you know, quote unquote bad guys. And then the Palestinian authority are kind of the okay guys and everything. Um, I don't think it really flinches away from some of the consequences and negative, uh, results of, of some of Israel's policies, but, you know, obviously it's going to mostly be kind of like a pro Israel thing. Um, that being said, it, you know, the, the action is very, very intense. Uh, a lot of action, the, actually the first season, most of the episodes are like under 40 minutes long. So they're like, just, they're, you know, very short. I think a little bit longer in seasons two and three, but yeah, it was, it was, especially if you like 24, right. Uh, in a lot of ways, it was very reminiscent of 24 where, you know, it's just one thing after another. This guy's, you know, every every accomplishment they have, every bad guy they take out. Now there's, you know, and then there's a new problem right after that and everything. Yeah, um, well, that's kind of the Last Kingdom, also. Absolutely true. Yes, the Last Kingdom would be twenty four for for the fifth uh, century. You know, yes. or sorry, ninth century. Done. Yes. Well, cool. You know, the, the other show I'll just mention it real quickly that we're watching also on Netflix is a show called Borderland, which is a Finnish show about this detective who, again, he's real quirky, but he's just amazing at solving crimes. It's called Borderland because they're always talking about across the border in Russia. Russia, and, right. And, uh, yeah, you know, so far it's, it's, it's really enjoyable. So, uh, you know, I won't go into more detail if you're into crime dramas yeah. and international shows, that's something to check out. Right. And, and there's something like, even like watching Fauda, I mean, by, you know, as I'm watching, like there, there's information that for them would be just factual, like this is a way of life that you, they, they wouldn't need to explain it to their audience, but I don't know. Um, so it caused me to like kind of go and read about like Israel and everything. And, and I actually learned quite a bit about, you know, the situation in Palestine that, I mean, I, I was aware of it, but I, I really didn't, I realized by watching this, there's a lot I didn't know. Um, and so I went and did some research and then was able to learn a lot. So 
Um, so that's the kind of one of the good things about watching international shows is that you do learn, you know, oftentimes you learn a lot about the culture of those places. Yeah. And the weather as well, because it always rains in Winden. <laughs> right. They don't sell umbrellas. Right. So, exactly. So speaking of umbrellas, and, and I didn't write the date down, but we do have a date for season two of the Umbrella Academy, and it's sometime in late June. Oh, okay. So, you know, certainly I know Fred has mentioned about us possibly doing the Umbrella Academy. Now, I think Dark is still is going to be happening full force. But, you know, after Dark is finished, well, you know, something we can mm-hmm. think about. It's, it's, it's always in the conversation. So, all right. Well, listen, speaking of the weather, why don't we get to tonight's topic, which is the pilot episode of Snowpiercer titled First, The Weather Changed. And this episode was written by Josh Friedman and Graham Manson. And we said last week, Graham Manson, everybody knows, is one of the creators and and moving forces of Orphan Black. Josh Friedman was heavily involved writing-wise with Terminator, the Sarah Connor Chronicles. And directed, we don't often see episodes directed by two individuals, but Scott Derrickson, who directed Doctor Strange... And James Hawes, who has directed multiple episodes of Doctor Who, Penny Dreadful, Black Mirror, whatever they did, it worked well. Mm-hmm. This one aired May 17th, 2020 on TNT. AKA yesterday. Yesterday, right. <laughs> so uh, we, we chose to deal with Snowpiercer this week so that you, know, you guys could hear our discussion in a relatively timely manner. A lot of people probably didn't watch it live on Sunday night, but recorded it maybe and are watching it now. But it is based on the 2013 South Korean Czech film of the same name. And also there's a, I didn't realize this uh, before, a 1982 French graphic novel on which the film is based. And the series, I mean, it's maybe not fair, at least from one episode, to say it's a reboot but it it does deal sort of with the film and in terms of continuity we're we're kind of putting the pieces together and i think they did a really good job of setting up the overall premise very quickly uh fred's feedback will sort of address that a little bit because his feedback doesn't include episode 101 because he wasn't able to get it in time but he he does talk a little bit about the film and uh, you know, we, we're following these passengers on Snowpiercer, this gigantic, perpetually moving train that's just going around and around the globe because if it stops, then everybody dies. And these are, I guess, theoretically the, the last remnants of humanity. So in terms of the timeline, that opening scene, did, did you like the, the way they were using animation rather than live action at the very beginning yeah yeah i i saw that and i knew that it was originally a graphic novel so i said oh well it's kind of like a little shout out i thought to the 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 roots of the story you know it's original incarnation as a graphic novel yeah so i i liked it okay yeah i thought it was very effective as well and and they give us as much information as we need to just jump right in that This is the aftermath of a man-made environmental apocalypse in 2014. Now, I don't think they say 2014 in the series, but in the film. So if we try to, you know, take those timelines and make them jive, 
you know, we find out in this episode that it's, uh, what is it, six years, nine months, 26 days since the train departed. So we're roughly 2020, 2021 as the series begins. Right. And I I guess some people might say, well, it's already 2020. We're not even close to that. Okay, whatever. It's (laughs) You're okay with time travel, as my wife would say. Right, exactly. Well, it's the same thing when the movie came out. It was uh, just one year into the future, but... Well, actually, no, I, well, I'm sorry. The, the film took place 17 years after the Earth went kaput. Um, so it's in a pretty distant future. But the the idea of, of you know what happens to create the apocalypse in Snowpiercer um, obviously didn't come about and seemed rather unlikely even back in, in 2013. Um, you know, with that, it's just, I should say, should, should we put like a spoiler alert out there now that we are going to talk about the movie in its entirety? So if you haven't seen the movie, you know, it's very likely you're going to get have things spoiled for you here. Well, well, you know, and I said to Fred in a message that I think the statute of limitations has kind of expired on the movie. And, you know, he made a mention, well, I'm interested in the show if, if I had been spoiled before getting to see the movie. I, I understand that. That said, it's been a while since I've seen the movie. I did not rewatch it for the podcast. So I would say, say anything you want about the movie. Uh, obviously, we, we want to talk about the TV series right. and how they're approaching it, but, but you almost can't ignore some things. Exactly. And, and actually, I found, it, I found it problematic, honestly, um, because what I was doing when it started was just basically trying to orient the show to the movie. And so a lot of, I probably actually missed some stuff early on just because I'm like, you know, dodging back and forth to IMDb to see who are the characters names, in the original movie and are the characters in this movie and who is that character? And Oh, Alison writes there. She really reminds me of the character that Tilda Swinton played, but I uh, know this guy, you know, so I think it was once I let go of the movie and realized, okay, I'm just going to sit here and forget about the movie entirely and just watch this show on its own, then I was able to really kind of get into it a little bit more. But so but I think that's natural, you know, especially Snowpiercer. It's like one of those movies I've seen a lot and I really, really like that movie. And it's definitely one of my faves. But I think that kind of got, like I said, got in the way a little bit at first. And then especially when then you go back and look and you realize that even if, the movie and the TV show are taking place in the same universe, which I, I don't think they are. I think this is two different stories entirely. But even if they are, uh, the Chris Evans movie doesn't take place for another seven years after the events that we're seeing unfolding right now. So is it the early earlier history of the Snowpiercer, or is this just a completely new story and I, I would tend to go with the latter um, for that well the interesting thing the guy and i don't know him that reviewed the first episode for den of geek made a point that he had not seen the movie and deliberately did not watch it in preparation of reviewing the tv series and and certainly there's a a valid uh, approach to you know, to doing it that way that said, I guess I see it as 
all the same universe. This is just a prequel, if if you will, and that Chris Evans' character may be on the train somewhere, and we'll meet him or we won't meet him. Um, you know, as you mentioned, you know the the events of the film take place at least seven years, maybe even more after the events that we're watching now. So I, I think it's best, and, and you kind of implied this, to not get hung up on on all of that. You know, look at the film if it applies and, and if it doesn't. But we learn that Wilford Industries, Mr. Wilford, has built this great arc train, a thousand and one cars long. Now you wonder why a thousand as opposed to, not, why not a thousand right. as opposed to a thousand and one. But, well, because this uh, has eleven. Right, but obviously the the allusion to Noah's Ark as a means of of protecting humanity from extinction, you know, certainly can't be missed. But the survivors who invade the train, which basically is intended to house the rich and powerful people that could afford the ultra expensive tickets, even though there are first class, second class, third class. It's never clear, like, you know, in, in the opening sequence, we see all of these people just basically jumping on the train. And once they're on and the train's moving, it's never explained why they just don't throw them off. Now, they seem pretty ruthless, but maybe at least at the beginning, they're not that ruthless. Right. Well, and, and there's another thing. And, and the- I, I, I really I'm, I apologize for bringing up the movie so much, but we what we see in the beginning of the show we don't get we're, we're only told about in like you know second hand like we don't see the the beginning uh, you know the movie just throws us in you know right in the middle of things fourteen years after the train has departed and what things are like then so we don't see everyone jumping on now but there's another thing that Jennifer Connelly talks about. Later, and I should look and see her character's name. Stop calling uh, it's Melissa. Melissa, when she mentions the the need for balance, and that was such a big part of the movie as well. That th- this train itself is like a bio organism or bi- bio something biodome. It's you know it it relies on everything from the top to the bottom to to exist. So and and we see that Wilford and here Melissa, Melanie. Well, I'm sorry, I said Melanie. 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 Right. Um, as being pretty canny, pretty smart. So you know, like this idea of the the you know the needing everything that's on the train as having to stay in balance in order for the train to keep going. That's like a you know was a huge theme in the movie and. Um, you know, it's a you know we're we're already seeing that idea being presented to. Um, yes, I believe. Gus, now, uh, 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 late Andre Layton. Andre, yeah, right. right. Okay, uh, to him too. Right. So, Played so the idea David is that Diggs. did you know were the people in the tail allowed to jump on because they're essential to the running of of the train. Right, because somebody has to do the jobs that no one else wants to do. Yeah. And, you know, I I, I guess that's probably as good a way as any, because I think in the film, it's almost implied that that those people back in the tale were 
they worked their way back there and, and uh, you know, we haven't had time yet to, to see, you know, how things are going to transpire in the TV show. But Ivan crystallizes the whole Snowpiercer mentality that Wilford's train is a fortress to class. And, you know, we get some wonderful visuals. I, I think the, the stark contrast of the, the, drab colors that we see in the tail set against those bright blue uniforms of the hospitality hostesses and and certainly all the the white backgrounds in in whether it's a dining car or a restaurant or whatever that you know there's they're certainly setting that up right away at, at the uh, start but i mean this episode really boils down to two stories which is this mounting revolution that's taking place in the tale. And then of course the investigation into the murders on the train and it starts out being one murder and quickly evolves into two. In addition to the colors that contrast between the tail and the front cars where the passengers are dining and living in luxury, that scene where that one passenger is complaining about the American body shaming that's taking place in the oh. sauna. <laughs> and can you please do something about it? Yeah. And and Jennifer Connelly's character, Melanie, is just the consummate professional at making people happy that are not happy. And right. you know, and that just I just love that scene because it it just crystallizes what these people are all about in, in the front of the train. And and again, with a thousand and one cars. We're just scratching the surface in this pilot episode because we see these people in this luxurious dining room. Well, are are they in the first 10 cars, 20 cars, 30 cars? I mean, we don't have a sense yet of that. Right. Yeah. And and again, you know, that was such a, a big part of, of the movies of as they progressed towards the front of the train, we see them passing through you know, each of these levels of society and we see it getting more and more decadent as they go. So, you know, we have to imagine those people uh, who are complaining about the sauna, they, they're pretty close to the front, I imagine. I would think, and you wonder how much the tailies know about what goes on in the rest of the train. Uh, I believe it's Ivan that was called out uh, at one point to tune the piano. And of course, uh, I was going to call him uh, David Diggs. Layton is called out to investigate the murder. We'll, we'll talk about that in a second. But we get that real brief visual of the kids in the school classroom, which is something that's looked at in more depth in the movie. So I don't know if we'll see more of that. But the other thing that I liked was that they established that despite their surroundings despite you know the the conditions that they're forced to live in which squalor almost seems too good for what it is you know they're they're forced to accept mm -hmm. still there are people trying to better themselves Leighton's son wants to be an engineer and and he's studying trigonometry and uh you know so he can't be the only one. So I, I love the fact that they've, they're establishing that, but things are getting desperate. They're, they're having their rations cut. 
it's I guess on the one hand, it's understandable if if you want to keep all the first class passengers happy. Right. I mean, we we get that scene where they have a greenhouse going. Am I thinking of another show? Did did they show pigs in this episode? Or that maybe that was another show. But but you figure if they have meat and fish on this train, then they have cars where they're raising right cattle or pigs or you know fish or whatever so we know all of that's going on it has to be right right? and we know that they're circulating fresh water somehow again we know that wilford thought all this through and had the monetary resources to make it happen so you know they're getting desperate we hear about a year three rebellion so we know they've been on this train almost seven years, and and apparently after the third year, things were bad enough that they tried to get the people in the front to listen to them. I forget who calls them jackboots, but for lack of a better label, I, I think that really works. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, it, it is a you know, this is not a democratic society, especially for the people in the tail. It is a strictly enforced society that is enforced through a, a number of things like uh they even are preventing them from reproducing right and we don't really know yet whether it's a forced sterilization or if they're putting something in the food that would do it uh you know we don't get an answer for that but we kind of don't even really need one at this point but we see in terms of a long-range plan. I mean, Leighton understands that we need to do something or they're just going to starve us to death and that's it. But he's taking the long-term approach, which doesn't often sit well with people. And, uh, you know, to look at what's going on in contemporary society with the coronavirus and after two and a half, three months there are a lot of people certainly in the United States that have had enough and no, I'm not looking long-term. I want out. I want to do this. I want to do that. And Layton's not that guy. Right. So, you know, they set up that nice contrast between him and Pike, you know, that, that, uh, you know, it plays out rather quickly, yeah. which, which, uh, I think is well, good. Well, right. Because, you know, he, you know, we forget, well, we don't forget, but you know, he was planning this revolt. It was like the main architect of it. But then he saw the rest of the train that he realized it's hopeless, right? So he goes to stop these guys, like saying, it's, you're not going to win. You know, there's no way. And, and they did. Uh, with all the bloodshed, all the fighting they did, they advanced one car. Yes. You know? And so Andre tells him, dude, because you know, like you said, I mean, they didn't know. They had no clue what was in the rest of the. You know, I mean, they had an idea because they obviously they they knew what Snowpiercer was all about, but they just had no concept. Just as you know, the people in the front of the the train have probably zero concept of what's going on in the tail, and, and that's why, like both the movie and the TV show, one of the, the great things about them is this metaphor for you know human society today you know the the first world has and the third world have absolutely zero concept of the other 
right? They have no idea of what's going on in, in the other place because they're just insulated in their own society and have really little awareness of, of, of anywhere else. Yeah, and that shows itself in that scene when Melanie's taking Leighton through the different cars and they go through the greenhouse and he sees those gigantic strawberries and he's mortified that, what, you guys can't share? And she's like, no, actually we can't. Yeah. And we know what she means is that we can't share and keep the ultra rich happy. And as a commentary on humanity and, and man's inhumanity to his fellow man, that pretty much says it all. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so why does Ivan hang himself? Is it, is it just the total desperation and, and he's reached an age when he just doesn't want to fight anymore? Yeah. You know, uh, yeah, that's definitely problematic because th- these people fought to get onto this train, right? So, you know, even despite their, well, and, and what is it, uh, Layton's old girlfriend kind of throws this back in his face because she's like, I, I should have been able to die, but you made me get on this train. So, but you figure most of the people there, most of the, the people in the tail who jumped on were people who wanted to live and that's why they're there. Right. So, you know, despite their conditions, they are alive. But it's not much of a, a life, right? Right. Uh, now, uh, they're jumping on the train, but it's probably a situation where they don't really understand what it is they're jumping sure. onto. Absolutely. Still, you might say, and, and, and certainly certain characters could answer this better for themselves, is this life better than no life? And I think the the possibility that you could work your way up, see, we're not sure yet whether that's really a possibility for the vast majority of the tailies. It it probably is not, but you never know. The other thing, though, I wanted to consider with Ivan's suicide, if it is in fact a suicide, we've got two other deaths that we're going to be investigating. Mm-hmm. Is it possible that he didn't kill himself or nah? It, it seems unlikely, but you know, I, I, and I can't remember what it was, but there is something that happened that made me think, well, whoa, whoa, wait a second. You know, that, you know, maybe he did not kill himself. Okay. Now I think know- Saul Goodman might be behind it. <laughs> Okay. That's from because the uh, the guy uh, who plays old Ivan is Uncle Hector in Better Call Saul and Breaking Bad. Yeah, and, and you know you mentioned so, that we were talking. There's definitely a Heisenberg hit taking place <laughs> yeah. on the uh, on the we uh, Snowpiercer. We were talking before we started recording about the number of actors that are in this episode. That that for me, I missed a lot of them, and, and all the ones you mentioned were not even ones that. I noticed I noticed Vincent Gale, who is one of the principal characters in Van Helsing, along with Van Helsing showrunner and Continuum alum Jonathan Lloyd Walker, Stephen Lobo, who we all know as Kellogg from Continuum, and also uh, one of the agents in Travelers. I forget what his name is in Travelers, but uh, you, you had a couple others as well. Yeah, um, Stephen Ogg, who plays Pike. 
uh, played, oh man, what was his character's name in The Walking Dead? Um, oh, Simon in, in The Walking Dead. He's a pretty big part uh, there. Allison Wright, a uh, huge role in The Americans. She was uh, Martha in The Americans, which I just got done binging a couple months ago. She's awesome. Who else uh, did I find here? Um, I did catch Stephen Lobo. I saw him in there. Um, oh, well, I didn't know who this was, but I just ended up finding out that. So Mickey Sumner, who played uh, the the blonde cop from Detroit. Her dad is Sting. Oh. Ah, Gordon Sumner. Yeah. Um, I didn't even know his daughter was an actress, but there you go. There she is. So, so I, I didn't really recognize her though at first, but, but yeah, there is like, uh, just like a, a ton of people in this show who are, you know, had, were recognizable from having pretty sizable roles in, on, in other shows. And, you know, and like you mentioned, like Steven Lobo, uh, if you blinked, you missed him in this episode, which apparently you did because you said you missed him. Right. Um, but he was in like, he had like one line, I think. I mean, here's a guy who was, you know, one of the main stars of a sci-fi series that ran for like, what, four or five years? Continue? Yeah, yeah right. You know, well, I guess we have to believe that he's going to play a more prominent role yeah. down the road. You don't Absolutely. hire Stephen Lobo, right, for a one-liner, exactly. But uh, you know, so, so so we mentioned the Jackboots coming in and, and trying to put down the rebellion, and they did get through one door. Did you notice how they got through the door? They they had like a oh the, the guy, little well, the guy held it. The one guy held it. They got through a door because. They had like a piece of metal that they stuck in there, right? Well, yeah, but the little kid had the severed hand. Oh, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And he put it on the yes, <laughs> you know, the entrance thing, and then, and then, yeah, the rest of it was just brute force. But uh, you know, as a leader, obviously, Layton establishes himself. He goes back to try to defuse the rebellion, but of course, now everybody sees him as a traitor, as if he had an option. Right. When you're called, you go. And, Absolutely. And they give him all of three minutes to put it down. And that scene where he's walking through the tail and it's just a field of dead bodies, blood and gore and, and body parts as he tries to talk Pike down, which he does. Now he's got a plan surrender to the drawers at the drawers what a cool concept i mean yeah it, it, and i know it's just a label but right. i guess some sort of futuristic cryo system that and again that's uh i couldn't remember the name of this movie you remembered it last time with wesley snipes and uh sylvester stallone where they they uh oh demolition man demolition man i mean that's sort of the concept there that that they don't execute prisoners they just put them in cryo right well and, and that that's also directly out of the movie as well we talked about the other storyline being investigating murders on the train and and you know we get that scene where a removal request for andre layton played by david diggs is really centered around the fact that he is an ex homicide cop mm -hmm. And they've got nobody else on the train with his skill set. 
Right. So this is his chance. He's to- literally the last homicide cop on earth. Exactly. And he's put in this situation, this dilemma, and I, he, he doesn't say it. We know it's coming that, fine, I solve your murders, but my girlfriend or wife, or I guess it's his girlfriend and son, they come with me into third class. But is he going to do that and leave all the other tailies behind? It, it doesn't seem... As, as if he is that kind of guy, you know what I mean? Well, yes and no, because, well, what, one thing we, we, we can't rule out is that he's playing the long game here, right? Right. And and as he tells um, Pike, you know, uh, surrender to the drawers, we'll come get you when we need you, basically. You know, it, is that, that demand just part of, you know, his making... The, the the front enders think that he is that type of guy, you know, thinking that this guy is just you know, out for him and his, and so they they won't look, they won't suspect him of 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 trying to promote any kind of revolutionary kind of program or something. And you know, we don't know as he doesn't know what it is he's being summoned for. They sit him down in that third class dining car. And right away, we recognize the bowl of tomato soup, which, given what he's used to eating, is just like gold. But then, pair it with a grilled cheese. Oh, man. There's not much better in life, you know? (laughs) Absolutely. And you keep waiting for him to just almost resort to animalistic behaviors because he's so hungry. He does his best. He's not totally immune to that that reaction but again they make things happen pretty quickly in this first episode so that it doesn't take long for them to get to the point he's shown the body and at first he's no i'm not going to do it and i think we know all along dude you're going to do it well at first he was probably like what the (laughs) right you know because it's chopped up Right. I, I get you're like a homicide detective. You've seen some messed up stuff, but I mean, that's got to rank. Well, right. But when he re- refuses initially, uh, Sting's daughter and her partner try to rough him up a little bit. And and then uh, Melanie and, and the guy she's with come in, throw them out. And, you know, almost like good cop, bad cop. Although oh, yeah, I don't think time. they intended it to work out that way. Although who knows? Maybe yeah, they did. Yeah. But. She tells him he'll have free reign investigating. And then, oh, and by the way, apparently the genitals have been removed from the victims. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> See what that's all about. And, and that line, Mr. Wilford is asking you to contribute. We go into uh, Layton's head. What the hell? Why should I contribute? Right. What, what is he doing for me? Well, yeah, exactly, exactly right. Like, so, I mean, you want something from me, but what, I, I'd solve this case for you and you just chuck me back in the tail? Like, no. Now, we learned this character named Nikki Jeanette, who has been in the drawers for two years. They seem to imply that she was a witness rather than a suspect. That doesn't really make sense, but again, 
what a lot of stuff doesn't make sense on this train. Yeah. So they're going to bring her out. You know, we don't see her brought out yet, but but we know that's going to obviously be a big part of the second episode, or or you would certainly think it is. We learn that, and he's told that if he finds a killer, he'll be made train detective and moved into third class. And while third class isn't going to be like first class, it's going to be probably a huge step up from a lot better than the tail. What he's used to, but what about when he's taken through the chains? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Some, some kinky sex stuff. And, yeah. and of course, right away, he knows one of the suspects, Zara. So is this his ex-wife? Is, is that oh, the, I don't know if it's an ex-wife or girlfriend or just companion or, but uh, yeah, they definitely had a relationship because she, what you know, she basically says, you know, basically how long after I left, where, did you, you hook up with uh, Josie, right? Yeah. And so, we assume uh, that's his current partner, and yeah, who whose son is the boy? True. So we don't we don't know that, but she apparently chose to leave the tail to work as what a hooker. I mean, that seems to be implied that that she's working in the chains. So you know, he kind of he's kind of non-specific and she's like who are you to judge me and you know you mentioned already if i'd have known this i would have just stayed off the train and and died like everybody else but right um, well like you know we talked about before like she's you know bitter that she was denied her opportunity to die like she wanted to and now is living a life that she doesn't want to live right So so this has all happened against her will and right. that's, that's, uh, you know, but, you know, darling, there's one thing you're going to learn on Snowpiercer is there's just not a lot of free will going around. No, there really isn't. And, you know, the, even the passengers in first class probably think they have free will. And I think one of the things we're likely to learn is that even there, it's quite limited. Yeah. Um, well, just one thing about the, the change is that, you know, this is, we, we see, what part of goes along with the you know the life of the the upper class is this this decadence right this you know com, um like this hedonistic uh approach to life uh almost nihilistic as well and you know certainly that would be you know a combination of a couple of things one you have the the means to be hedonistic and nihilistic uh, but also the the fact of the the situation as being the last people on earth would also contribute to that right because as far as they know and certainly as far as we know at this point it's not as if there are scientists out there working on a solution in fact we learned that it was the scientists that caused this in the first place which you know raises a whole other set of uh, political issues that yes, uh, the environmental apocalypse was brought on by mankind, but it was the scientists' attempt to fix things that caused the uh, ice age that that appeared virtually overnight, or at least that's that's the way it's described. But yeah, the other thing about Jennifer Connelly's character, Melanie, it almost sounds as if she's got something else going on i mean we know her as the voice of the train 
and she may or may not be in charge of hospitality. It, it appears that she is, but we don't necessarily know that for sure. But in, in my random thoughts column of my notes, we get a fairly intensive look at her quarters, which are not all that luxurious. No, pretty spare. Yeah. And I mean, granted, she, she's got space to herself and she's got stuff but not all that much and we see her change out of her blue uniform and then she heads up to the front engine car ostensibly to relieve the driver who tells her you have the train mr wilford right now is that just you know protocol that that's what you always say to whoever the new engineer is going to be is there something about her that we don't know no, she's I, I, yeah well, she's wilford okay <laughs> okay like so which is which is i mean that that's huge i mean and they throw that out there right there in episode one right i mean in the movie like the whole point was to make it to the front of the train and to confront wilford and they get there and it's ed harris hey ed harris what are you doing man um and so when Jennifer Connelly walks into the front of the train, I'm like, what, wait, wait, what? Because, you know, that, and then they call her Mr. Wilford. And you're like, or is, or is that a red herring? I don't think so. Okay. I, th- I think she's, she's Wilford, okay. which again, Wilford could uh, potentially be just a, a, a character, this savior that was created kind of like a big brother type character. Um, and that anyone can, you know, be, Mr. Wilford and that Jennifer Connelly is in this time in seven years, Ed Harris will be Mr. Wilford. So, well, she is in hospitality. So is it fair to say that she's a host? Oh, nice. Yeah. Okay. I just came up with that. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. And and yeah, I I was thinking the same thing, but do you lay that out there right away? Well, that's the thing to, to just, you know, throw that out there in episode one, like, come on. I don't know how I feel about that just yet. Honestly. Uh, what about Mama Grande? Seems like some sort of spiritual leader. You know, w- w- I mean, we've got Pike, who who's sort of the the rash leader, and and he's going to have to work with uh, Layton if the Tailies are ever going to you know be successful at their revolution. But it seems as if Mama Grande is established in several scenes as being somebody that might be important. Mm-hmm moving forward but you know anything else you want to bring up that we haven't talked about i don't i don't think so okay i mean i was already not i don't want to say dislike this episode and this show but i didn't think it was going to end up being as good as it was and and i think to a certain extent the acting is just top notch well yeah i mean they they clearly spared no expense yeah. with the casting of this show absolutely you know the production values are obviously top notch as well i th- i think the question becomes for a series are are we able to maintain this storyline that takes place on the same train right. in you know yes we'll move from car to car it's one thing to maintain it for 2 hours in a movie can you maintain it for 10 hours 
in a full-blown season of well, television. Well, this is just season one. They've already been greenlit, greenlit for season two. Yeah. So, and, so, and my and my fear is, is it just going to be one procedural after another? Right. And I could definitely see that happening. Right. Yeah. But you know, see what. I, so I, I read a little bit, which I, you know, I generally try not to, but I just I couldn't miss some. There's a lot of buzz about Snowpiercer this morning, and um, a lot of you know I, I saw again some negative uh, reviews of it, but it seemed like a lot of the negative reviews were kind of comparing it to the movie, which, like I said, I mean, if you're going to do that, you might just stop right now. Just stop watching right now because it's completely different than the movie. So my expectations coming in was that it was going to be a lot like the movie. And so, like I said, I spent the first half hour just trying to compare it to the movie. And it was only after I stopped doing that that I was really able to get into it and, and really enjoy this episode um, because it's not the movie, right? The movie was two hours of nonstop action, right? One fight after another, one crazy scene after another. This show, that's not what this show is about, as you just said, right? So we're going to see, we'll probably get a little bit more world building and get go into a little bit more depth. With the movie, we just saw very briefly each segment of the train as they went from the back to the front. With this TV show now, we'll get to see a little bit more of this world and, and understand it. Um, and I, I don't see it as any different from any other sci-fi movie that's on like a, a different world or something, you know, not unlike the expanse or something, except instead of being in a different planet, it's on this train, which is in itself its own world. Right. And to be fair, the greenhouse car, and we know there have to be many more like it. It, it was like another world as was that dining car i mean to call it a dining car is not even fair i mean it was a right. luxurious dining room so i guess to a certain extent they are like you know a thousand and one different worlds that that we've got to explore and as any tv series is able to do versus a movie the character development is going to be available to the writers where it's really not as much in a two-hour film i mean we've got the two women that are now connected to Leighton. Uh, I, I know that's going to cause some problems down the road. Sure. Uh, whose son is, is the young boy? Um, you know, is Pike going to be able to remain in control of himself or is he just going to take the next opportunity to start a fight that's going to end in massive bloodshed? And, and while they take out, a, you know, some of the jackboots, they probably lose many more of, uh, the tailies. So yeah, I mean, I, I enjoyed it. I, I was having a hard time assigning it a grade. Um, to be honest, I started at B and then the more I thought about it, as I was looking over my notes today, I'm like, no, it was a pretty solid pilot if, on a lot of levels. I don't know if I'm ready to go a minus, but you could convince me otherwise. Yeah. I mean, I went a minus on this one. Okay. Um, you know, yeah, I like I, was, I said, I, I felt I felt bad that at first all I could think about was comparing it to the movie, but then getting into it, I liked it. I liked the world building that they were doing here. You know, I, I think it's it's definitely a solid start for a show. Um, I think if there were no Snowpiercer movie, probably people would like this a lot more. 
because yeah. they'd see how how well done it was, how well shot, how well acted, uh, how interesting the the story is, and everything. So. Sounds good. All right, you convinced me. We'll go A minus. All right. So, all right. Well, as, as we mentioned earlier, and, and Fred will explain it in his feedback. Uh, he'll he'll be reacting not to this episode and and just about the movie. So, well, uh, let's hear what Fred's got for us this week. Hello, Dave and Wayne, and all listeners to Sci-Fi TV Rewatch. This is Fred from the Netherlands with some feedback for Snowpiercer season one, episode one, or actually not. Because when I record this, I haven't seen the episode, but as homework, I did see recently the movie from 2013. I will give some feedback on the movie, but will try to keep that as spoiler-free as possible, because some people possibly still want to watch that movie. Although, as Michael R. said in the Facebook group, it's not necessary to see the movie before the series. And perhaps I can send in some feedback just after you recorded the podcast and just before you're going to edit, because I perhaps can see the episode on Monday. In that case, you will find an additional piece of audio feedback without any reactions of Dave and Wayne uh, to it. Okay, about the movie. The main character is Curtis and is played by Chris Evans who we of course know as Captain America. But in 2013, when he acted in Snowpiercer, he was not that known as Captain America, although two films were already out, Captain America the First Avenger and The Avengers, but all the rest was not out at that moment. How nicely shaved he is as Captain America, how fully bearded he is in Snowpiercer. So I had some trouble recognizing him, but okay, I did. What is the relationship in time between the movie and the series? I posted on the Facebook page a timeline which Dave and Wayne referred to in the last Sci-Fi TV Rewatch podcast about Ragnarok. And there you can see that the series is actually a prequel to the movie and plays about 8 years earlier. Furthermore, you can see in this timeline where 6 comics are positioned within the timeline. So, before the series, between the series and the movie, and after the movie even. I really wonder how they can fit in the story of the movie, or a story like the movie, this train running through the world, through the empty world, to the the cold, snowy world, for several episodes, without getting boring. But since the showrunner is Graham Mason, who also did Orphan Black, I really have confidence that it will be good. I hope they will make the series more believable than the movie. I think the movie is sometimes a little bit over the top and a little bit too unbelievable. Sometimes a little bit a caricature of reality. So what makes this post-apocalyptic story interesting I mean different from all kinds of other post-apocalyptic stories where just a few people survive the world is that it is the structure of the train that it's running is not so important but that you have to go from one carriage to the next when you're confined to a city or confined to an island or whatever it's not that you have to go from one wagon from one carriage to the next and and that makes it a little more interesting that's the special aspect i think i think of this movie this series okay i don't want to go into much more detail than this because otherwise it gets spoilery so that was all for now greetings all the red
older Fred, all the best Fred from the Netherlands. All right, uh, sounds like he enjoyed the movie, and and uh, you know he didn't go too heavy on the spoilers, but uh, yeah, I mean we are recording on a Monday night. It aired Sunday night in the U.S. I, I don't know where it's airing or when it's airing in the rest of the world. Uh, so I know I communicated with Fred to earlier in the day and he still hadn't been able to see it. So I'm sure he'll check back in with some thoughts on Snowpiercer either in his feedback next week or in the Facebook group. I know he certainly posted a few tidbits about Snowpiercer in the Facebook group. So that's cool. Any last minute additions you want to make? Uh, no. Okay. I don't think so. Right. Well, that will do it for this episode of Sci-Fi TV Rewatch. We want to thank you guys for joining us. Love to hear what you think about Snowpiercer, Ragnarok, Impulse, Dark, which is coming up. Anything else in genre TV? Encourage you to join the Facebook group. Get into the discussions there. If you want to send us an email, it's Sci-Fi TV Rewatch at gmail.com. Voicemails can go via the SpeakPipe tab, which you can access on the website. Record your own clip the way Fred does each week and send it as an attachment. We'll be back next time to resume our discussion, though, of the Norwegian Netflix fantasy series Ragnarok. But until then. So, you know, we had, uh, you know, uh, one time a buddy, actually one of my roommates in college had uh, his buddy from back home named Richard. And, you know, they always like this guy would come up like every other weekend or so. He was a good guy to hang out with. And, um, you know, just all of a sudden he stopped showing up and and uh someone said to me hey what what's what's with your your your, your roommate's buddy i'm like what are you talking about I said well what about his um dick <laughs> <laughs>